Welcome to the Recover You Podcast. I'm Kyleen. And I'm Patrick. We are a couple in recovery. From sex addiction. And betrayal trauma. Together we share our story to encourage you on your journey. It's here that we talk about sex addiction, betrayal trauma, mental, emotional, and physical health, faith, and anything and everything needed to recover you to your most authentic self that God created you to be. Welcome everyone to another episode of Recover You. This is another solo episode with Kyleen. Today we are talking about the question, how do I know if I should stay or go after betrayal? This is probably one of the most common questions that I get from women all the time. You have discovered betrayal, you've discovered pornography or a secret sex addiction or a physical affair, and you are just really conflicted with the idea of dealing with this and accepting it like what does that say about me who stays with their partner after they've been cheated on or leaving and um, letting it go uh, releasing someone that you have spent a lot of time with and maybe have children with and all these types of things there's a lot of uh, uh, considerations there and so obviously it's a big conflict and and also there's a there's an aspect to it and I think this is what comes through a lot is what's the right thing to do, right? People think there's a, a right answer to this and they want to make sure they're making uh, a smart decision or or an ethical decision, right? They don't want to be labeled as someone who's tolerating abuse, right? So this question comes up for a lot of reasons. So today I just want to share my personal stories of being divorced and also be, so I've been betrayed and divorced and betrayed and reconciled. So I want to share those two stories, the similarities and more more so the differences in those relationships, and then walk through green or red flags when it comes to safety and health in a relationship. So ultimately, no one can tell you what the right thing to do is, only you know what is right for you. But hopefully this episode will provide you with some food for thought. Maybe you can relate to some of my experiences and feel less alone. And that's a big one because I want to make sure that you know that whether you are choosing divorce or choosing to reconcile, you are not alone. And there isn't always a quote unquote right choice. So let's talk about it. I was 22 when I got married the first time in 2008. I think it was technically 21 because I got married in May, but I digress. So I'm going to share the details that I remember, but starting the episode with this caveat. I either have a horrible memory or my brain has blocked out a significant portion of that time in my life. So there are only a few parts that I remember well. So leading up to this, I had had my first uh, real boyfriend (laughs) who I thought I was madly in love with. The summer leading into my freshman year of college, he was a college boy that I had met visiting my older sister. And for me, it was almost love at first sight. I literally picked him out in a room and told my sister I was going to marry him. (laughs) Ridiculous, I know, but it's what happened. So we ended up dating for about nine months or so, and I'm going to share this piece of, of history just because I want to begin to create a picture for you of how I was not living in full confidence and authenticity. I was living in boy crazy la la land for myself, which led to a lot of emotional instability, dependence on the relationship, and let's be honest, drama. 
So in this relationship, I very much felt like he was the love of my life. Um, And just keep in mind, this is my first real boyfriend, right? My first real relationship. Uh, We were going to get married, and I wanted to spend all of our time together. I had lots of free time, but he didn't. And this became a huge problem for me. Because when I moved onto campus, we didn't get to spend a lot of time together. I felt so frustrated and maybe rejected because when we were dating long distance before I came up to school, he would come down to visit or vice versa and we would spend time together. But once I moved up to school, it's like time together wasn't set aside and prioritized. So, you know, if he's coming to visit me, he set aside two or three days to just hang out. And like, that was what was on the agenda, right? But when I came up to school, that time wasn't really set aside. And so I didn't feel prioritized. I even remember asking him to schedule dates in his calendar for me. And his reply was that he didn't want to pencil in his girlfriend. I don't know what the deal was with that, if he felt weird about it or what. But I was like, dude, if you don't pencil it in, we're never going to hang out. Anyway, long story short, I was very codependent and clingy and not emotionally stable and self-secure in that relationship. And so, as you would expect, he broke up with me. But I did not see this coming. This was essentially the creation of my abandonment wound because he came over one day and what I felt like was completely out of the blue, he told me we were breaking up. Oh, I was so devastated. I sat on his lap and probably cried for about 30 minutes. Like, you can't be serious. What do you mean? When he left, I did the whole dramatic chase after the car, crying my eyes out, don't leave me, panic mode situation. I am not kidding you. Anyone that was watching this from an outside perspective would probably be like, yeah, she's crazy. Of course you're breaking up. (laughs) But this was devastating to me. I did not see it coming. It just shook me so hard in that moment and and took me so off guard. So I spent a lot of time over the school year hoping we would get back together and also dating other guys, which is totally smart, right? So basically my focus when I went to school was boys, period, end of story. I was not really focused on anything else. And honestly, I really regret that. I wish I had focused on friendships and experiences, but anyway, I'm just being honest and I'm painting the picture here. So fast forward to the next summer, I think it was, I'm home and I'm going to dinner with some friends of mine and this waiter starts talking to me and hitting on me fairly obviously. And as we leave, he gives me his number and that is how I met my first husband. (laughs) We started dating and there were red flags all over the place that I just steamrolled. One of them was that, so I, you know, my faith is very important to me. And one of the red flags, this is fairly small, but depending on uh, where you're at, it's, it may be really important. Uh, He, he went to church because I went to church. Okay. So uh, this may come up later in talking about this in another part of the story, but but that's, that's sort of just, he started blending into the life that 
I wanted as opposed to being his own person. And, uh, and, and that's very, that, that can be common with, with manipulative behavior, but we'll just, I'm not going to go too much into that. So I just, any red flag that came up, I wasn't identifying them as red flags. I didn't really know how to identify them, right? Looking back, there were so many, so many about how we interacted and um, just all sorts of things. Um, one, another one, just as another example, is uh, he really pushed me away from my family and particularly one of my friends that didn't really like him. <laughs> I should have listened to my friends and my family, you guys. I should have listened. Note to self for future. Uh, really learned a lesson with that one. But, um, you know, he started to distance me a little bit from them. And that's a huge, 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 huge red flag. So one thing that happened was I had gone on antidepressants after my last relationship and that big dramatic breakup because I had spent months crying and I just felt like I needed help. So when I started dating my ex-husband, I felt like I could get off my antidepressants. Oh, look, new, new shiny relationship, right? Happy little dopamine hits, right? This is exciting. I'm getting attention, right? Are you hearing a lot of codependency and unhealthy emotional regulation patterns here? Because I certainly am as I have looked back. So I'm dating this guy, and when you are really young, sometimes you have stupid goals of getting married and getting out of your family home, right? I love my parents, but I did want to move out. And I think that was part of my motivation. I wanted to have my own life. This guy was the reason I got off my antidepressants, obviously. And we had sex before we got married. So I think all of that combined really contributed to this just storm of bad decisions that I was making. I almost called the wedding off about two weeks prior. My parents were indirectly hinting in this direction and I was noticing some problems myself. And in fact, prior to this, I had tried to break up with this guy a few times. I remember one time in particular feeling really happy about it that we had broken up. And that should have been a clue. But then because I didn't have a strong sense of self at the time, he bought me some presents, promised to be better, and hooked me right back in. He did the same thing when I considered calling off the wedding. He, I remember him making a list of things that he would improve. And I, at that point, I just felt so much pressure because everything was set. Things had been paid for. He was promising to do better. So I pressed on. My dad, my dad, you guys, my dad, right before he walked me down the aisle, gave me a hug and said, you know, you don't have to do this. Oh, oh, one of the many, 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 many times I should have listened to my parents. Well, I obviously went through with it and I immediately knew I made a mistake. Immediately, I was crying on my honeymoon that I didn't want to be married. The parts of me that I had suppressed and the emotions I had ignored were all coming out full force, demanding to be heard. But what could I do now? I was a Christian girl who had had sex before marriage and now was married. Can't get out of that. I was stuck. A few months later, I find a folder of pornography on the computer desktop 
and then I do a search and find more. I confronted him, but at the time, I had no resources. This isn't something I was calling my mom about or talking to friends about. I had no information. I had a conversation with him, and then that was about it. He denied, 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 of course. Not that he hadn't looked at pornography, but that he wasn't looking at it now. He said that this folder that had been on the desktop, by the way, must have been a carryover from an old computer and somehow gotten on to this new one. It's not something that he had recently looked at. And that was that. I mean, I don't remember really believing him, right? I was skeptical, but I didn't have any resources. I, I don't even really remember having any other conversations about it, except that I said, I wouldn't wear certain things for sexy time anymore because I saw them in the photos and it made me feel like I just didn't want to do that. This is not something that I was calling my mom about or talking to friends about, you know, and and I just didn't have the information. And so I'm sure many of you have found yourself in that position. I felt very isolated. I felt very alone and I felt very trapped. About a year and a half into our marriage, I was so miserable, I told him, I think I want a divorce. (laughs) Again, I don't remember a lot of that conversation. In fact, I think it was pretty short. And that was that. We never talked about it again. Oh my gosh, another red flag. (laughs) You guys, so many red flags. If you don't feel like you can talk to your partner about your thoughts, your feelings, your emotions, your fears, your insecurities, all these things. That is such a problem. The person that you are spending the rest of your life with and sharing your body with should be the safest person in your life. You should feel totally supported and validated in coming and saying, I feel anxious about this. I'm sad about this. I'm nervous about this. This, prop, this part of our relationship, um, you know, I'm, I'm not feeling like we're doing well here. I'd really like to work on this, right? I, I didn't know how to do that at the time. So I said something, but again, that was about it. <laughs> in my mind, however, in my, in my worldview and in, in my life at the time, I changed my mind right away. I was going to fix this. I was going to take responsibility and be a good Christian wife. You know, I just needed to fix my attitude. That's what I needed to do. So I did what any good Christian girl would do, and I bought a book. I can't, I can't remember what I had looked up or, or, or looked on Amazon. I don't know if it was saving your marriage or avoiding divorce or fixing your marriage. or I don't know. I was just trying to fix it and take responsibility. So I did. I fixed my attitude. I read this book. I remember being in a a very different uh, mental space for a few months. And again, we're not having conversations about our relationship or our happiness or, you know, anything like that. We were just living our lives, you know, checking in and out, going, going to work every day, you know, doing the routine. And that was about it. So then about three months later, we, sh- we shared a car at the time. We shared my car and I drove to the office to pick him up and he's sitting in the back with my parents. So just to clarify, my dad uh, started and owned a business and I worked for my dad for many years. I worked as a, a customer service agent and, um, and then when 
my ex and I started dating, uh, my ex got a job with my dad as well. And my dad was, you know, that's, it's really kind, right? He's, he's trying to provide both for my ex and, and for his daughter, right? If we're going to be together. And, um, and it worked out for a long time. It was really great in some ways, you know? Uh, but I go to pick him up. He's sitting in the back, uh, in my dad's office. My mom and my dad are both there. They look very serious. I'm like, Hey, what's going on? And they go, well, we'll, we'll let him tell you. So we get in the car. <laughs> and I'm like, what the heck was happening? And he goes, I've been accused of sexual harassment. I was like, well, by who? Well, happened to be his secretary. <laughs> I thought, I said, no way, no way that's true. That's not true, right? That's not true, right? That didn't happen. We're driving at this point. We're driving to the house. I don't remember exactly what he told me at that time, but he began to allude that it might not completely be false. I started laughing. I thought, how stupid do you have to be to cheat on your wife with the secretary in your father-in-law's office. <laughs> I mean, it was just ridiculous, right? It just sounded ridiculous, absolutely ridiculous. So come to find out he had been engaging with his secretary, it was true, uh, and his excuse or his reasoning behind it was, well, you told me that you wanted a divorce and I was sad and my, secret my secretary noticed I was sad and, um, you know, we started talking about it and, and that sort of thing. And the rest is, the rest is history. You know, she, she began to comfort him and they started getting close and they started talking and all of that fun stuff. They both always claimed that they never had sex together, but I never really knew if that was true. So I went to some friend's house at, at the time that uh, we were in a, a house church together, a life group together, a small group of Christians that gathered outside of church. And I started telling them what had just happened. Um, and I, I think I was still in shock at that point. I was like, I don't even know, like, I was also, I think even in that moment, there was probably a sense of relief that I, I had been so miserable and this was my out, right? So while I was shocked and this blew me away, I was not expecting this information. There was also a very, very quick decision to take action on my part. And I went to, I went to my friend's house. I kind of let them know what was happening. They drove me back to my house so I could gather some of my things and I, I moved back in with my parents. Now, at the time, in my mind, I was saying, oh, this is just gonna be for a weekend. But if you remember back to when uh, I had tried to break up with him previously and I had that sense of, of relief, I, I think I felt that almost immediately when I separated and moved back in with my parents. It became very clear to me very quickly that I would not be moving back and I would not be trying to reconcile. I was just 
happier when we weren't together. So then I experienced lots of different pressure. Oh my goodness, so much pressure um, from the church, from my pastor at the time, that's a whole other church trauma conversation, from the life group, from my dad, from all these people um, to consider you know getting back together. Now my dad, it was really interesting because remember he was the one that said, you don't have to do this, but he is very religious and takes marriage very seriously. And, um, and as he should, he's a very, um, he's a wonderful human being who always tries to do the right thing. Um, and is very conscientious about, um, about doing the right thing. And, and he wanted me to do the right thing. And so he wanted me to really take this seriously and to think about it. And I said, dad, listen, I'm, I'm getting divorced. This, yeah, I'm moving forward. And he just, can you wait? Can you wait? Can you think, can you think about it? Can you give it some time? I'm not sure how long it took, maybe a couple weeks, maybe a couple months. He came home one day, and I'll never forget this. This meant so much to me at the time. Oh, it still does today. Um, it's always meant so much to me. I remember I was sitting on the couch, and he came home. He put his hand on my shoulder, and he said, I understand now. I understand now. And that's because my ex-husband had essentially shown his true colors to my dad that day. And my dad began to kind of understand what I had lived with for about two years. So now this gets into a lot of the um, comparison between my previous relationship and my current relationship and a lot of the red flags that were present. Because during the divorce process, talk about true colors coming out. When I began to learn about sex addiction and betrayal trauma and how addicts typically behave, I was so blown away because I thought, I feel like I'm learning more about my ex-husband than my current husband. So there was so much manipulation, so much gaslighting, so much blaming through this process. Oh my gosh. Now, I will take the responsibility and say, I should not have gotten married. I made a bad decision. That was on me. That was on me. And I made all of my own choices as an adult to, to get into the relationship and, and all this kind of stuff. But you know, there's really, I mean, I've never understood. There's, there's really no excuse when a relationship ends to just be mean to each other. You know, I just don't understand that. But people that like to be in control and manipulate, that's not how they view the world and they want to be in control and so they manipulate. And so my ex really was quite excellent at coming across one way to the world and to people he wanted to present a certain way like the church or our pastor or even my dad up until that point and not be like that internally. So one of the things that I was so, 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 so thankful for because if any of you have been in a situation where you have been gaslit or blamed or, or, or manipulated by a really good manipulator, you will understand this. And that is that you start questioning yourself. You start going, well, it, is he really that bad? Like, was the relationship really that bad? Should I, should I give it another chance? Like, am I wrong? You know, and you start doubting yourself. So I was so thankful that I still had the password to his email because then I got definitive proof that what I was feeling in my gut, in my soul of souls on a cellular level, 
was true. I would read these emails where he was just a different person. He would come across to the world as this, I am the good Christian husband who wants to reconcile and my wife is being a horrible Christian by not wanting to forgive me. And I just love her and I want to stay in this relationship and I'm doing the right thing. And then I saw this email where he emailed, I don't know if it was one of his friends and was just like, I'm so glad Kylene is out of my life. And he was bad mouthing me and saying all the things he didn't like about me, all the things that he got to do because I wasn't there and I was such a buzzkill. I, I believe if I remember correctly, he even solicited a woman on, on Craigslist during this time. Oh boy, was I so glad that I saw that. It helped me so much. That's not something I ever called him on. It's not something I ever um, addressed, of course. We were getting divorced at this point. But for me, that was absolutely so helpful to see that. So if you're in this situation, and if I can give you a piece of encouragement, it is trust that inner knowing. You know the person that you're married to. You know how you relate to each other. If there is a part of you that is telling you that something's going on or that something isn't right or that something's not sincere, trust that part. You don't need the documentation. You don't need the evidence. You know, your soul knows. I'm so thankful that I had that to just prove to me that my soul was right. That he was manipulating people. He was gaslighting me. He was blaming me. He was totally changing the truth. That was one thing that through the divorce just blew my mind. The conversations that we would have where I was like, this is not true. This is not reality. I, I, I could not handle it. My head would just absolutely explode. And when I look back, I think, man, these were just two people that should not have been in a relationship together. We just did not work. And I will fully admit 100% that I was not my best self in that relationship. Not even a little bit. Not even a little bit. Every, you know, he would trigger me in just the right ways for me to just be a very unhealthy version of myself. And now I'm not blaming him for me being unhealthy. Obviously, you know, on this podcast, we promote personal responsibility. I was in charge of all the decisions that I was making. And that environment that I put myself in was a very unhealthy environment. And I allowed myself to respond in unhealthy ways. And so when I look back, I go, two people that absolutely should not have been in a relationship. And then when I learned about addiction and betrayal and manipulation and gaslighting, it answered so many questions for me. And again, just reiterated that I did the right thing. Oh, man, so many red flags. So many red flags. Listen, listen, to, your, listen to your gut. All right, so that relationship ended. There was a lot of uh, difficulty in getting the divorce. He would not show up for the court dates. He was very resistant to the process. He wasn't helpful, which apparently, according to his email, he was excited that we weren't together, right? So I don't know what he was doing, but he was exerting control and uh, it, he, he extended the process I'm sure he could have done it longer, but it seemed like as long as he could. And eventually we got we got divorced. I think I think timeline wise, it was about uh, two and a half years, but we had separated. I think I left the house a few months before a two year anniversary. So if you're kind of thinking about a timeline there. All right, so fast forward, I 
I never did any trauma work, right? I never did any betrayal work. I didn't know about that. I just was like, woohoo, I'm, I'm free to be. I'm happy. I'm out of this relationship. And guys, I did. I felt, I felt so happy. There was not a day once we had separated that I, regretted my decision. There was not a day that I looked back that I was like, oh, I wish I had given it more time or I had tried harder. Once we were separated and I was pursuing divorce, I was all in and I felt all of the confirmation that I needed mentally, emotionally, and physically that I was away from this relationship and a a happier, healthier being going through that process. Even even during the annoying divorce process, even, even during that, I was just a happier person. And so I, I started to move on with my life. Again, I didn't do any, um, I was feeling great, right? Right, I'm free. I'm out of this relationship. This is amazing. Life is full of opportunities. I don't need to do trauma counseling. I don't need to do therapy work. I had no idea. I had no idea. So fast forward to 2011 and I get set up with Patrick and I meet him. And this is a relationship where there were no red flags. I mean, not a single one. I did not have cold feet for even a moment before we walked down the aisle. This was the absolute love of my life. Now, I know you've heard me say that a couple times. Let's let's just uh, uh, clarify that <laughs> because I, I feel like I'm going to come across sounding like a, a love addict. I was a very different person from the girl that uh, quote unquote fell in love with her first real boyfriend uh, in college. And by the time I met Patrick, I, I was a, I was completely different. I was a completely different person. And I had done a little bit. I mean, again, I was really still very young at this time, but I had done a little bit of work personally. I was like, okay, this is not working out for me. I've had, some, I've been divorced. I've had some breakups. Um, clearly I need to do some internal work and kind of think through what are the similarities between these people? What are the things that I really, what attracted me to them? What do I not like about them? Um, What do I actually want in life? So I had done, I had spent some time doing some internal reflection. When I met Patrick, he checked off every box. And this is something that I had, I had shared with one of my friends, a couple of the things that I was looking for and she set us up. So I have this um, glowing review from a friend of mine who knows me really well and loves me and is just is still t- to this day an awesome friend of mine. Um, I had no red flags. We got along so well. We clicked so well. And this was, you know, what I would consider a really healthy relationship. You know, if I the two relationships that I've told you about so far, and there were others in between, uh, you know, man, emotional drama, right? Codependency, just crazy brief little little note here I did have a, a what I would consider to be a very healthy relationship um, with someone in between my divorce and uh, and when I met Patrick and uh, who knows if that was God kind of teaching me that healthy relationships can be calm and <laughs> healthy I don't know uh, obviously it didn't work out we ended up having uh, different uh, religious perspectives and, and everything and and it just didn't work out and that's okay Obviously, uh, that was the right decision. Um, but I was moving in a healthy direction. I guess that's that's kind of the point I want to share here. I was moving in a healthy direction. So I never had any red red uh, flags or cold feet. And if you if you compare when I got married the first time to when I got married the second time, they could not be more different in how it felt in my mind and my body moving into that relationship. I just felt like it was so safe and so right and we were meant to be. And I lived that way for the the 10 years that we were together before I found 
out about Patrick's addiction. So compare and contrast. I had been married a very short time when I got divorced, the, and the first time I was very married for a very short period of time, discovered pornography, did not address it, and experienced a lot of gaslighting, blaming, manipulation, and uh, all of those red massive difficulty during the divorce, and a lot of emotional, uh, high-charged emotions during the relationship and that sort of thing. Married Patrick, had a very stable, healthy, loving, supportive relationship, uh, mutually really serving each other and loving each other and wanting the best for each other and then discover that he had betrayed me with his cyber sex addiction and he'd never told me. Now, this is one of the reasons that this was so painful for me. I had told him about my previous marriage and about finding pornography and how, you know, that's an issue for me. I had asked him the questions. I had shared the story and and he still didn't tell me, right? And then we had had many, many conversations throughout our marriage about pornography and cheating and infidelity and still didn't tell me. So boy, oh boy, did this blow up my world. And, and, and we can talk about all of that separately. And I know we've talked a lot about our relationship on this podcast, so I'm not going to rehash all of that for you today. But compare and contrast the response of these two people. Patrick immediately took responsibility. Never once did he blame me. And throughout this process, while he said, you are more than welcome to separate from me and divorce from me because I feel like not only is that your your right, but you probably should because I've hurt you so much. He has done everything in his power to build trust, to be honest, to not manipulate. Not I don't necessarily think that was um, hard for him per se, but he was very aware of it. He goes, you know, I, I, I want to make sure I'm not, he would bring things to, to, to have a conversation about and he would even say, I want to make sure this isn't coming across as, as manipulative. You know, he was really conscientious about being vulnerable and being forthcoming and putting my needs ahead of his own through this recovery process. And, and so... That was, that was just a huge green flag for me as I was going through this because there was a period of time where as I was going through discovery and my emotions were incredibly charged and the anxiety was high and I was finding out betra- new betrayal after new betrayal after new betrayal as I was, I was learning and, and putting the pieces together. There was a time where because of the trauma brain and the debris that was floating around from all my previous experiences where I started mushing the two relationships and that really bothered me because I had been so unhappy in the first and so happy in the second. Oh my gosh, comparing the two and feeling like they were mushed and you did something that my ex did, that felt so terrible. Oh my gosh, did that feel terrible. It just felt really weird to blend those worlds. They had been so, so separate and so distinct. And... Eventually, as the trauma debris began to settle, I began to very easily begin to separate the two and begin to see the green flags or the red flags and compare and contrast. And because Patrick took responsibility so quickly, refused to blame me or say any of it was my fault, which is all I was hearing from my ex during the divorce is how it was all my fault. Every lick of it was my fault. Never once did he take responsibility. Because Patrick took responsibility so quickly and refused to blame me for his behavior, 
even while I was hurting, even while I was discovering more and more and more and more and more about how deep the deception went, he created safety by doing that. He created safety immediately by saying, I'm not going to tell you that this is your fault. I'm going to tell you that I've hurt you and I'm going to try to work on fixing this problem and I'm going to try to support you, but I'm never going to blame you. This is not your fault. That alone, psychologically, provides so much safety. So then I had this opportunity to really determine I like this person. I like this person a lot. Now, my fear was, obviously, with my previous relationship, is he manipulating me? Is this all a facade? If he could do this and lie to me about this for so long, could he be like my ex where it's all a lie and it's all a facade, right? I didn't think so, but I also didn't want to be stupid, right? So I took so much time. I gave myself so much time to not make a decision. That's one thing I I hear so many people feel pressured, right? Like, are you in the relationship? Are you out of the relationship? When this happens, you know, especially if you're a Christian and and you just feel pressure to forgive and, and do all these things, give yourself time. I needed to see, I needed everything to get untangled to the point where I knew what the reality was. That now that the secret was out, did I know who my husband was or not? Was he the person that I had been married to for this entire time and he had this addiction? Or is he someone that I don't know entirely and I'm just discovering? My hope was that he was the person that I had been married to and and had this thing that he was struggling with. And that, thankfully, is what I found out. He was the person that I thought I was in a relationship with. The only thing he lied to me about or manipulated, because let's let's be honest, for about a decade, he did manipulate, he did lie. Those things were in there. It was always centered around protecting his addiction. And there was nothing else that he was manipulating or lying. And, and as soon as it came out publicly, um, between the two of us, not, not publicly on TikTok, <laughs> that was much later. As soon as it came out between the two of us and discovery was was made, it was brought brought to the light. He wanted to change. And, and that made such a huge difference. As opposed to defending his behavior or blaming me, that made such a difference. So when I think about the two relationships, one thing that really comes to mind when you are comparing them is in my first marriage, I did not feel hope. In fact, I felt despair, which is ultimately what led me to verbalize that I was contemplating divorce. There was no hope. I didn't see or feel hope there. And ultimately, the relationship ended, obviously, partially because of that. And even in in my current relationship with Patrick, even with all of the pain that we've gone through, all of the ups and downs of betrayal and recovery. From day one, I felt hope. I hoped that he would get into recovery. I hoped that he would stay there and be successful. I hoped that I could trust that he was the person that I thought he was. And I hoped that I could 
move through the pain. I hoped that we could make it. I was going to push myself. I wasn't going to force myself, but there was hope. So let me ask you today, because I feel like that is a a defining factor. Do you feel like there is hope? Do you have evidence that there is hope? Because the reality is, in my first relationship, uh, I could have felt hopeful, right? I I sort of did when I said, I'm going to change my attitude. I'm going to take responsibility. I'm going to make this work, right? That That was creating hope for myself. But if I went really deep, right? Like I had a lot of evidence that this was not a healthy relationship. However, when I had everything happen with Patrick, I had so much evidence that we worked well as a couple, that uh, our life could be happy together, that this could be an amazing relationship, that he was a person who did what he says he will do, um, that he's someone who could complete things and do things. I had so much evidence that this, this was a possibility. So do you have hope? In, in your relationship. So let's just summarize um, some bullet points of the green flags. When you are asking the question, do I stay or do I go? Is this a healthy relationship? Is this a healthy opportunity? One, what I just said, do you feel that there is hope and evidence that that hope is true? Is the partner who has betrayed you taking personal responsibility. That is a huge green flag, huge green flag. Oh my goodness, huge green flag. The further away he gets from from taking personal responsibility, the more, uh, let's say, the the stronger the red flag is. So if he starts to um, take responsibility but then have a, a an excuse or then he starts to blame, or he doesn't take any responsibility at all. That's sort of the gradation, the graduation towards really, really strong red flag. Is your partner supporting you and learning how to express empathy and understand the pain that his behavior, his or her behavior, has the impact that it has had on you? Are they willing to acknowledge the hurt that you are feeling, sit with you and support you in that? Are they someone that is willing to do whatever it takes to make this work? Are they willing to go to trauma therapy? Are they willing to address the underlying issues behind the behavior? There's not a single case where someone has an addiction where there's not something underlying it, right? Uh, I love ice cream. I think I may have even mentioned this in a previous episode, right? Um, If I had an ice cream addiction, there's something underneath that addiction. It's not just that I love ice cream, right? Like, I love ice cream. Um, But it's not just that I love ice cream. It's that I had a stressful day and I'm using that to uh, feel a little bit better and calm down at the end of the day, right? There's always an underlying reason. So are they willing to do the work that it takes to address that? That is a huge green flag. And one of the biggest things is, are they willing to respect your boundaries? Are they willing to hear what you need in order to feel safe? And the reality is it's going to make them uncomfortable. It it dramatically changes their life to have to be accountable to you in some ways, to maybe not be sleeping with you uh, sexually or physically. Um, You know, there may be 
a lot of changes that occur in your house. Are they willing to do that? And when you establish those boundaries, how do they respond? When you establish a need for safety and you communicate to them, their responses tell you so much. And and I hope by sharing my story that you you, you were able to, to see the dramatic difference in responses. When you bring a boundary or a need for safety or an emotional vulnerability to someone who is manipulative or abusive or gaslighty or just emotionally unhealthy, then then they will have a very negative response. They may be uh, really uh, emotionally charged when they respond. They may be really defensive would be a really common one, really, really defensive. Um, well, why do you need that, right? I'm not doing the behavior right now or this, right? Things like that. Or do they say, I understand that I've hurt you. I understand why you feel that way. I will do whatever it takes to rebuild your trust. Those are two totally different responses. Totally different responses. And, and safety, as we have talked about many times in the podcast, is the number one thing. If you want, if you want one green flag, one green flag, it would be, are you able to successfully establish safety in your relationship so that you feel like everything is stabilized? You don't feel like everything's going to blow up any minute, like the floor is going to fall out from underneath you. Do you feel like you can communicate to your partner? Do you feel like your boundaries are respected? Do you feel like you can communicate your feelings? Do you feel like you can have conversations and ask them questions about their own recovery? Are you able to see that they're making progress? All of these things establish safety when they are consistently done over time. If you can establish safety, and that is something that you both are on board with, then there there is so much potential there for rebuilding a healthy, happy relationship. But if you are unable for any reason to establish safety in the relationship, it's a huge red flag because we've talked about this previously with the nervous system. Physically, it is impossible for your body to heal when it is not able to live in a calm place. And so if it's constantly getting triggered by something that it considers dangerous or threatening, then... Uh, your your nervous system is constantly activated. And, and over time, this stress, whether you feel physically like you're living in stress or not, over time, this chronic level of stress begins to break things down in the body. So on a physical, and I would argue emotional level, you, your own emotional healing and your own movement forward in recovery is going to be hindered if safety is not established. And it makes a huge, huge difference in your ability to move forward and have a happy, healthy life, whether or not you choose to stay in in the marriage or not. That's all I have for you today. I hope that sharing a little bit more of my story was helpful. There are so many different little avenues that I could go down in so many different parts of the story that I didn't share. Um, But I hope that hearing that I have been betrayed and been divorced and I've been betrayed and I've stayed and they were very, 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 very different individuals who responded very differently to their behavior and had an incredibly different relationship with me. And and I would argue that I was different in both relationships as well. I hope hearing how those were different uh, just helps you think through some things 
Maybe you could relate to parts of my story. Maybe it encouraged you. Maybe it gave you some hope. Uh, if you're in a relationship where you are pursuing divorce, maybe maybe you feel hopeful that there is someone out there that you can have a really, really healthy relationship, not perfect, but healthy relationship with. I hope that hearing someone else's experience has been helpful for you today. And I just want to wrap this up by reminding you that there really is no quote unquote right decision. Everyone's story is so unique. Your background is unique. Your trauma is unique. Your marriage is unique. And no one else has the right to tell you what to do with your relationship. My hope for you is that you feel safe, that you feel loved, that you feel valued in your relationship because that is what you deserve. Please remember that you are beautiful, you are worthy, and you are enough. Woohoo! If you're listening to this, it means you've made it through an entire episode. Part of recovery is spending time engaging in healing and self-growth activities. We are thankful that you chose our podcast to be one of those activities today. Make sure you reward yourself for that accomplishment. If you've enjoyed this episode or this podcast, we would love to hear from you. Please take just a few moments to leave a rating and review, letting us know your experience with Recover You. We not only love hearing how these episodes are helpful, but ratings and reviews help others just like you who are searching for recovery information and support find the podcast too. We can't wait to hear from you. See you next week.